It's an opportunity attack. Hello and welcome to the Grognards. I'm Dean Geiken. And I'm Greg Ziegler. And we are without Eric Hawley today, but that's okay because we've got a third person in the studio with us, although he's kind of really far away. Uh, Technically we, not in the studio. Not in the studio, no, but he is joining us via Skype. We have Peter Gifford all the way from New Zealand. You are officially the person furthest away from us to ever be on our podcast. Welcome. Oh, I'm on it. Very exciting. Yeah, welcome, Peter. <laughs> Thank you very much, and thanks for having me, guys. Okay, so for those of you who do not know who Peter is, Peter is, um, well, you're one of my gaming lifesavers. Uh, you are the uh, the man behind Universal Head, which is a game design or a game reference design company. And um, I'm going to let you talk about it because you know about it better than I do. But I just want to say, first off and foremost, thank you for the work you do because I use a crap ton of the stuff that you make. <laughs> thank you. Well, that's great to hear, Dean. Thanks very much. Um, well, the, the distinction between Universal Head and Esoteric Order of Gamers is slightly confusing because I've been a graphic designer for... 30 years, oh, frighteningly wow. enough, and um, I uh, have always been known as Universal Head. I've worked for myself for many years. So that but is then, your official company name, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So there's universalhead.com, which is my graphic design business website. But then I decided to start the Esoteric Order of Gamers um, about seven years ago or so for my gaming stuff. I'm going to go right into some of our questions. What made you go from Universal Head and take it into the whole gaming, uh, the gaming genre? Um, well, Universal Head is still is going along. That's my day job. Um, but um, this is confusing because when I started putting up my rules summaries, I obviously put them up as Universal Head because that was my handle online. And um, then I, because I started Esoteric Order of Gamers, then I think some people might get confused between those two brands or whatever. But anyway, um, so... Esoteric Order of Gamers, I decided to start because I just wanted to have a place to put all my rules summaries, um, the home for them, and then it rapidly began expanding. I started doing videos um, and articles and all other kinds of things, phone call plans, all that kind of stuff, um, and it just got bigger and bigger. So it's it's become a place where I just put up everything that I do to do with gaming, and the, especially the kind of games that I like, which are thematic imaginative type games mm -hmm. uh you do have quite a few and for those people who are interested in uh checking out the website it is orderofgamers.com so if you are listening you should go to orderofgamers.com and you can take a look at all of what peter has to offer you have on your headpiece here kind of a, a wax stamp it says uh, what ordo lucorum I haven't actually looked at that for a while, so I've forgotten how to pronounce it myself. Um, what is it? Let me just go to the... Sure, it's like Ordo Reconditus Lucorum. It is, it is Latin for... Um, man, I've got you um, covered. It's to make gaming better or something to that effect. Oh, I know. It, it's, uh, it's basically work makes gaming, makes play better. Okay, there you go. There you go. Yes. God, it, it, I've forgotten all about that. It's been a long time since I've done that, and I'd forgotten that I had that motto. But, yeah, yeah. the idea was if you put a lot of effort behind um, 
enhancing your games, then that pleasure will come back in enhanced, uh, you know, enhanced experiences. Very nice. So, <laughs> um, the idea behind the Esoteric Order of Gamers when I started it is that I wanted something that felt like a, an organization that had been going for thousands of years. And even on the website, you'll find hidden away somewhere, there's a, a piece of um, fiction. I was going to do a whole series of stories and all that stuff that never, never came off. But I like this idea of having this esoteric organization that had been going for a long, long time that followed those ideas that was, you know, almost like a bunch of monks sitting in the back room transcribing rule summaries and things like that. Nice. Well, you do a very good job. I was watching, in addition to the rule summaries, uh, you also give uh, some videos, unboxing videos, painting videos and stuff like that. And I was watching one where you were interviewing yourself. I believe your wife was interviewing you. It's called The Great Old Ones. And, yeah, that was a recent one, yeah. And I was watching that one. Were you watching that one? Then maybe, Greg, you also picked up on this. You give credit to the, uh, not first edition, but the old boxed edition of D&D to kind of get you into graphic design. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I, I discovered all this stuff when I was about 12. I mean, I played games before that, just th things like Haunted House and, and, you know, those sort of... There were some great games back in the very early days that had sort of 3D elements and everything, games for kids. Um, but I discovered role-playing games when I was 12. Um, a friend of mine had a game called Empire of the Petal Throne, which was the second game that TSR, who made Dungeons & Dragons, uh, was the second role-playing game they released after D&D. And um, we played a very basic version of that, and then I got onto D&D. So that's how it all sort of started. Um, and then I didn't, this was just after original D&D and when base, the first basic D&D box set came out. So that one I was showing on that video was that, that original uh, box set and that's how I started with all this kind of stuff. Did you do any graphic design for any of that early D&D stuff? I mean, just for personal use and maybe your yes. friends? Yes, sorry, I missed that part of the question. Um, Yes, I did. And I was always the referee for some reason. I never really enjoyed the playing aspect. I really liked uh, creating the worlds and, you know, controlling everything. Probably a bit of a control freak. Um, so I liked making uh, dungeons on graph paper, all that really early stuff, creating worlds, doing maps. So um, I think that that had a lot to do with, you know, getting my early artistic leanings out in a particular way, not just in sort of expressing myself through illustration, but expressing myself by creating things that had a use. So in a way that I think that led to graphic design. Do you still play D&D? I don't, but um, I do play role-playing games occasionally. Um, the last one I played was Mutant Crawl Classics by um, oh uh, Goodman Games. That's mm -hmm. a deadly uh, game. <laughs> It, it is. Um, and I, I like those sort of old school kind of feel games. I'm not so much, I, I mean, I have, haven't looked at the latest version of D&D, &D, but I do like the old school ones. I remember when I came to New Zealand, I, started, I joined a new gaming group and we started doing some role playing and they were playing Pathfinder and we started playing and I was, you know, they were all looking at their rule books and a board came out with a grid when there was a combat going on, and I was just going, "What? What's this? This isn't role playing. I mean, mm. you do it all in your head. You know, to me, it was something that you did in your imagination. You didn't have things moving around on a on a, on a map or anything like that. So things had changed. Yes, um, uh, Greg and I, we, we our podcast is about D and D, and and we've had many discussions about that whole theater of the mind, or you know, do you need all the accessories and whatnot? 
to play D and D, and I think that we're kind of half and half on on our opinion on that. We like the the glitter, so to speak. Yeah. But we also really enjoy the role playing part of it, not the role R O L L playing part of it. You know, yeah. rolling the dice. I mean, we used to we used to have miniatures just to show uh, roughly where people were and stuff like that. But yeah, when I, when I took over with this new group and started doing a bit of refereeing, I could see a bit of the confusion where they were thinking, well, where am I in this combat? And they'd say, where am I? And I'd say, well, you're close to this person. You just have to ask me the question and I'll tell you where you are kind of thing. And and everyone imagined it in their head. Um, And it took them a little while to get used to it, but I think it's a lot more freeform. It's a lot more fun. And it can be really cinematic because you can describe really cinematic scenes without being restricted to where everyone is exactly and that kind of thing. Yeah, you have some people who like to uh, be the rules lawyer, and maybe they take that to the board too, and and kind of strategize a little bit too much and turn it into a board game as opposed to a role playing game. Um, yeah, less less rules the better, I reckon. Really, <laughs> I mean, the the early days of D anD D and everything was so. Fr- when we played Empire of the Petal Throne, the, it was ridiculous. We just we had no idea how to play because hardly anyone played those kind of games back then. So I remember the first time we played, we'd be wandering through some dungeon and, and the referee would say, you know, a, a chest rises from the floor and you'd, you'd check the chest and some trap would come out and kill you. And, you know, yeah, we just we, we were stumbling through this new form of storytelling. We didn't know how it worked. And uh, I, I thought they were really interesting days because we had to sort of try and work out for ourselves how the whole thing worked. And, and people would say, what are you – what are you playing? How does this work? It's it's you, what you're imagining it. What's where's the board? What's going on? Uh, I think that was the case. Uh, I think we all seem to be of about the same age. And trying to explain to my parents what I was playing uh, oh, yes. was yeah. just yeah. impossible. And were they did they go through that thing where uh, you know there was a bit of a satanic panic and people <laughs> were worried that it was going to. You know, yes. you'd be in devil worship and all the rest of it? Well, for my own part, I won't speak for Greg, but for my own part, uh, my mother was concerned a little bit. My dad didn't care one way or another as long as I was mowing the yard and feeding the animals and whatnot <laughs> at the farm. But uh, she said, well, I heard that there was, you know, the people who play this are devil worshippers. And I was like, no, mom, it's not oh. that way. And then she's like, okay. And that was it. But yeah, my parents didn't care at all. Yeah, but they didn't I, know what I was doing. Yes, and I do know some people <laughs> whose parents would not let them play it, and they held on to that belief. Oh my gosh, well into the '90s when I was telling them about it and re- oh, kind of really? rem- reminiscing, and uh, I was still surprised. I was like, "Really? You realize that that's been debunked?" But yeah. anyway, it was that 60 minute story. A lot of people grabbed onto that. Yeah. Yes, and as I said in that video, I actually wrote them a letter because that 60 minute story annoyed me so much. So I wrote them. A very incensed letter. Um, it's funny, I mentioned that to mum the other day uh, who uh, lives in this town and she said that she actually rang the principal of my school to check and she had never told me that. So I was I was shocked that she actually checked with the principal and apparently the principal said, yeah, look, you know, they're using their imagination. It's great. <laughs> that is so, true. That is there true. There you go. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about games. Um, how many games do you have? Are you a big collector? I mean, you've got a lot of reference material out there that you've put out, so you must have at least that many games, right? Yes. Well, you sent me uh, a list of questions before this, and I so I checked this to find out how many I had, and I was a little bit horrified. <laughs> oh. Um, I, I actually have a database. I've from the early days I've kept a database of my own games nice. because 
you know, when, when you get to a point where you have so many, you've got to be careful you don't buy something you already have. Um, so I, in my database, I've got 1,245 Oh, entries. my wow. Dean's eyes just lit up like Christmas. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I thought I had a lot. I have my list on, I think it's on Board Game Geek, and I'm in the, like, around the 300 part, but what, a 1,000. Um, now, I must say that's entries, so that includes expansions and all things like that. Yes, um, okay. If you go into Board Game Geek, the, the thing that I, the ones that I've, um, entered on board game gate comes to 914. So <laughs> that's, that's I'm, impressed. I'm impressed. Yes, I am it's bowing to your superior fa- board game collection. Yeah, the big thousand is coming soon. <laughs> oh my gosh. What do you get? What do you think will be the one? Are you going to do something special for that 1000th game that you Oh, buy? absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's a pretty arbitrary number because it's just the ones I have on Board Game Geek. I'm over that on my own database, but yeah. still, it has to be I, celebrated. It'll des- it deserves something. It deserves something. Uh, it does. Yes. <laughs> so, um, wow. Then this might be a, um, a hard question. What is your <laughs> current favorite game? Or what is your um, favorite game? My all-time, this is easy, actually, because my all-time favorite has been for many years War of the Ring. Really? Okay. I've heard ra- yeah. really good things about it, but not played it myself. Oh, you must. Okay. It is It is the quintessential, imaginative, strategic, interesting game. It's great. War of the Ring. I will, I will put that on my to-do list. I will do that. Matter of fact, I'm writing it down right now. Um, and yes. it's also my, my favorite gaming item because I have the collector's edition. Oh, of course you do. <laughs> of course you do. I always do stuff like that. Yeah. If so, I want to buy something, you buy the best one. You, yes. Have you seen the collector's edition? It comes in a huge wooden box that looks like a book. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah, it's amazing. I think I, think I have seen it. Well, you know what? This is a little bit of a tangential question here. War of the Ring is also about the Lord of the Rings, correct? Am I right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, being that you are in New Zealand, have you gone to the whole Hobbiton and Shire and Lord of the Rings areas there in New Zealand? I've been to some of the locations that it was filmed. I haven't been up to Hobbiton yet, but I, I really mean to do that. That's up in the North Island. Yeah. Um, uh, so just excuse my cat in the background there. It's <laughs> having a bit of a whinge. Sorry about that. It's okay. But, uh, yeah, I'd love to go out and check that out. But there are locations for it scattered all over the North and South Island. So sometimes you can be somewhere and think, oh, this is vaguely familiar. <laughs> nice. Um, or the strange thing is is that they can be so mundane. I mean, the location where um, Arwen crosses the river and the, the uh, black riders are wiped out by the wave. You know that scene? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. One of my favorites. Yeah, uh, fantastic scene. That was filmed in Arrowtown. Part of it was filmed in Arrowtown, which is down um, past Christchurch uh, near Araraki, Mount Cook. And um, that scene is actually, the the river is just behind the town and it's really, there's just a car parking area and a bit of river and it's just a completely mundane spot. I mean, it's a nice river, but you wouldn't think that there was a spectacular scene being filmed there. So sometimes it can be a bit... Discouraging as well, <laughs> but that's the magic of film and camera angles. Well, and the oh, magic of living in a place that's more attractive than where we live, where it's miles and miles of nothing. Yes, but we have corn. nothing but corn and soybean fields. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, oh. literally as far as the eye can see. <laughs> it's the only the only reason we can't see adjoining states is atmospheric haze. <laughs> <laughs> I've been. To- it's a few times, but I haven't been to your part. So what part of the U.S. have you been to? Um, I've been to both 
the, the east and west coast. And uh, I also did a road trip many years ago from Denver back to L.A. Okay. Um, I took, took a car and went by myself nice. through Arizona and southern Utah and Nevada and all that area, which was mind-blowing. I mean, the scenery was unbelievable. I had no idea that the scenery was like that in, in the U.S. Just it is. thousands of cliffs and endless deserts and yeah. it was astonishing. Yes, it is. And uh, you're we're, one, we're as far away from that as humanly possible. Yes, almost, almost. <laughs> but there are some beautiful places in Illinois. What we need to do is we need to get you out here next year for Gen Con so that you can partake in one of the largest gaming conventions in I'd the love world. love to. Yeah. And I've, I've thought of that many, many times. I've really got to get over there. And in fact, a friend of mine, um, Adam West from Crosscut Games, has has offered to uh, put me up if I go over to the next one. So maybe next year. Maybe hey. I can plan for next year. And maybe we can meet in person and do another interview. Do another oh, interview. that'd be brilliant. I'd love to go. I haven't been to any of the big conventions. Um, just It's been you know inconvenient and expensive, but I would love to get over there and meet some of the people in the gaming world because I'm in touch with quite a few online. And so to actually meet people uh, in person would be brilliant. Well, that's a good segue to my next question. You do a lot of really great work with the, the sure. reference rules and things like that. Have you done anything that's been published in something that we can see in an actual board game, you know, an actual yes. produced piece? Uh, well, as Universal Head, I, I do design for games occasionally. Mm -hmm. The one I'm probably most proud of was Tales of the Arabian Nights. Oh, uh, I've heard uh, of that. Uh, well, I call them Z-Man games, but Z-Man games. Mm -hmm. uh, I did the entire graphic design uh, for that one, and that was a huge project, and I'm, I'm still really proud of that one because it's still out there and everyone's still playing it. Nice, very nice. Um, and what other games? Uh, Ninjato for um, uh, Crosscut, uh, Asplan and Incognito for Ares games. Uh, recently I did some work on Evil High Priest and Planet Apocalypse for Peterson games. And the big one that I just finished was Atlantis Rising, which is for Elf Creek games, um, which is was a Kickstarter that's about to be sent out. So um, yeah, I do it occasionally. It's it you know it's very different from corporate work. It's a lot more fun than corporate work, obviously. Yeah, it doesn't pay as well as corporate work, but like, so I can't do it all the time. But I really enjoy it when I do it. Now, did you also have something to do, or did you publish something in the game Saul: Last Days of a Star, which is an absolutely yeah. beautiful game? That is a beautiful game, isn't it? Really different and interesting. Yes, and it's a very fun game to play, and a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. Um, I did a rule summary for those guys, and I'm doing this occasionally now. Sometimes people contact me, usually when they're doing a Kickstarter campaign, um, and I will do rule summaries that then they can put in their games as a stretch goal or, oh. or just put in as something easier so very, people can learn the game easier. That very is, nice. That is very cool. That is very cool. Um, so the other thing I do is, is often um, – you know, in exchange for a copy of the game or something, I might do uh, mention it on my website and, and do a rule summary and do stuff like that so they get a bit of coverage. But only on games that I really enjoy as well. I don't plug, you know, there's a lot of people who contact me with games that I'm not interested in. It's only if it's the kind of game that I'd play and like that I, I plug it on the esoteric order. Right. I want to ask a little bit about some of the stuff that you provide that's outside of the game references. Uh, the miniature painting. Um, I see yeah. you do some tutorials on painting and such like that. 
what's your favorite thing and how long you've been painting did you start with D minis like i did or have you just been kind of doing it as a you know painting models from days gone by and that type of stuff i mean have you always been painting miniatures or were you doing stuff like you know model cars and stuff like that before that um i did uh build and paint some plastic kits in the really early days i started painting miniatures pretty much from the start really but, uh, when they were when I started playing D&D, I was thinking about this, and the first ones I saw were arranged by a company called Minifigs, and it was for a, a fantasy background called Valley of the Four Winds, which was later released as a board game by Games Workshop in one of their very early small box board games before they started you know, really doing all the Warhammer stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, they're the first ones I saw in a store, and of course I was just blown away straight away. My head exploded. These little metal fantasy uh, creatures. So um, I started painting back then. So I've been painting for a long, long, long time. And um, these days, especially with the tutorial videos, I try and get across a feeling to people that they don't have to do a perfect job, that it's sometimes better to do it a little bit faster and get it on the table than, than obsess about the detail because I paint a lot of board game miniatures these days so there's always a huge backlog of, of miniatures i've got to do so i try and paint as as well but as quickly as possible yeah that's the thing about the board games is you're not just painting a couple of minis to use for your role playing but you're doing a small army for the, yeah. for the board game um, well yeah. i mean they, especially the kickstarter ones they come with 130 miniatures you know and you you'll just never get those painted if you obsess over every uh, every one so I, I try and get people, you know, there are other channels that do fantastic work um, on how to paint beautifully, um, but I try and sort of paint functionally. So people will, will still look at it and go, oh, this looks great. But um, the idea is to get them on the table and play with them and make your game look really good. Right. Now, speaking of miniatures, um, I know that you did the backing for it, and I've already got it, at least the first wave, of the Joan of Arc game. And Greg, yes, Greg has heard me talk about this far more than he cares to even <laughs> think about. <laughs> but you know the core box has 260-some-odd miniatures, all at like uh, 15 or 18 millimeter. Oh, dear. Oh, no. And that's not including any of the stretch goals and stuff that come out, including the houses and the castle walls and the cathedrals and the devils and the angels and all that kind of stuff. Is your plan to paint it all? I mean, my next, I, I want to lead into another question, but uh, do you paint everything you get? Um, this is kind of the bane of my life. <laughs> <laughs> you, may have, uh, you may have got the impression that I'm a bit obsessive when it comes to games. You know, I love everything just so. And I, I go through that. this huge process every time I get a game. I mean, and it was a huge process before I started the Esoteric Order of Gamers, and now it's become a mammoth process for every game. <laughs> there's there's an unboxing video. Yes. There's databasing. There's phone core inserts, rules summaries. There's posting up the rules summaries. There's posting those on social media. There's a newsletter to do. You know, and in a way, it stops me from buying too many games because I spend so much time on each game going through this whole process yeah i think that you and greg knowing greg as well as i do you and greg would be fast friends because <laughs> of the way that you would you know put together your games and organize them and and get them all separated and cataloged and everything yeah i'm a little ocd about stuff sometimes yeah but, um, does greg does, when we do, get over there we'll have a beer and we'll commiserate with each yeah. other about our 
yeah. positions. Um, yeah. All that process you're doing, is it is it taking away from the fun for you at all? I would worry about that, about, uh, you know, feeling like I have to do all this stuff. And is it is it sucking the fun out of it or are you still yeah, getting what you want? That's a very interesting question. Yeah, that is an interesting question. I've thought about it a lot. Um but I also think, well, look, that, that's just my personality. I obviously enjoy it. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. Okay. Um, and going back to the miniatures, that's the only thing because I do have this feeling I would love to paint everything that I've got. And I have listed everything that I would like to paint, you know, because I love lists. <laughs> so it's, it's all there and it's, it's sort of haunting me a little bit all the time because I want to get through it all. But... The thing I'm doing at the moment is every time I get a new game, I try and completely paint the core set of the new game as straight away so it doesn't become a new thing on the pile. And then I go back and paint something that's older. So it's always kind of two steps forward, one step back, but I'm always making some progress on the backlog as well. Sounds like a good So method. is it taking away from the fun? No, I don't think so because my personality enjoys having everything um, organized in a particular way. I, I look at people who bring a game to a session and they open up the box and it's all sitting in there with in Ziploc bags and thrown about the box and I just go, oh, oh shut up. I can't imagine taking care of my games like that. I like you a lot. Yeah. I like. Hey, at least they put it in Ziploc bags. I've seen people who See, just literally throw everything it. in. Yeah, no, uh, Gre Greg and I understand that. This is, oh, sorry, I didn't interrupt. It's this right. is why I started the Esoteric Order of Gamers because I wanted to appeal to people just like that. And yeah. obviously that's why you enjoy it as well because it appeals to the kind of people who see these things as wonderful objects. Yes. Not just as, oh, this is a game that I want to play and then throw back on the shelf. This is, these are beautiful physical objects that um, you can take care of and you can enhance. And every time you open the box, you go, oh, I really feel like playing this. It's, it's, it's an experience, opening the box, taking out the pieces that are all nicely organized, having the figures painted. It's a really exciting experience, um, and it stimulates your imagination, and it makes you want to play the game. Yes. And people who understand that, they're the kind of people I like at the Esoteric Order of Games. I wanna, um, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that you probably are one of these because you sound a little bit, actually a lot like Greg. Are you a <laughs> dice collector? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you got me there. I'm not uh, a dice collector. I almost thought for sure you were a dice collector. He doesn't need a lot of dice because he's playing the board games. The games come with specific dice for the specific See, games. Greg so. has this little uh, idiosyncrasy that he's a big role player. And for each character he makes and creates, he also gets a specific set of dice for that specific character. And there is no middle ground that character wow. has a set of dice, and you will not use another set of dice. I don't loan dice. I don't let people touch them. They are in specific bags themed for the characters. And what I just bought recently was little uh, little metal tags to tie to the thing to put their names on it. So, <laughs> Great. You're even weirder than me. <laughs> I probably am. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. <laughs> now I've just got to get all the minis painted to go with them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I used to laugh at people who sleeved cards, and then I discovered sleeving, and I can't, I can't go back now. <laughs> yeah, there are people who look at you funny if you pull out a game and it doesn't have sleeved cards. They're like, what kind of, you know, Neanderthal yeah. are you? Well, they're so much easier to shuffle. That's the thing. It's, it is quite practical. It's mm -hmm. very easy to shuffle sleeved cards. Yeah. I kind of want to talk a little bit about the Esoteric Order of Gamers. I think it's a great 
reference site and, and a resource for gamers out there. You said in, I think it was some, I can't remember where, but if you were doing some of this for pay and you were doing it for free, essentially, uh, you'd be charging like $1,000. I'm talking U.S. dollars for some of this stuff. Yeah. How can we yeah. and other people support you and do that type of stuff? Well, um, I do have a Patreon page. Um, do I went through a rocky road with the whole monetization thing because I, when I started the site, Obviously, I thought one day I would like to get a few bucks from this so I can spend more time on it. And my whole goal is to take one or two days a week off my normal work to work on this because I enjoy doing it so much. But obviously, you know, you have to be paid to do that. Yeah. So I thought I'll start the website and I'll establish it and then I'll ask for monetization. Uh, then I'll ask for support. Um, and this was already, I'd already been uploading rules summaries to Board Game Geek for eight years or something. So I was already quite well known. So um, the Esoteric Order of Games went for about six, not six years, probably four years or something before I started doing that. Um, and then when I did set up the monetization, which was on my site itself, I wasn't using Patreon there. And that's another whole story mucking around with all the technical aspects of that. I was sort of surprised that nothing much happened. I was expecting a bit of an explosion. <laughs> and everyone going, oh, well, look, finally we can support Universal Head stuff. And then um, it was only recently that I opened up the Patreon account and I'm now moving everything to Patreon. So there's one place and it's easy for people to do. Um, but it's very difficult because even when you've created hundreds of rule summaries like me, um, when they're available free on BoardGameGeek and on my website, I completely understand that people go, oh, look, I want to use that, it's great, and they don't really think about actually paying the person who does it because that's the nature of the internet these days, so that's it's yeah. hard. But if you want to, and you're certainly, it's certainly highly appreciated, um, you can go to um, Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash esoteric order. And I've got a series of tiers there with rewards. Anyone who understands Patreon will recognize all that. Um, there's bonus videos. Um, everyone gets a certificate who joins up, depending on what level you're, you've joined, um, and that helps me, you know, do this more often and and hopefully do less of my real world work and more of my fun <laughs> game work. I, I feel like I should. Um, I did buy a T-shirt and I wear it proudly at many game conventions, and I get a lot of people going, "What is that?" And then I tell them, and they're like, "Oh, I've used his stuff before." And then I kind of shame them into like, well, then maybe you should go buy a T-shirt or something like that. Oh, good on you. Well done. I'll give you a cut later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, nothing necessary. But uh, um, I feel that, it's, you know. It's hard these days because there are a lot of people online giving out free content to do with games. Yes. Um, I hope that my, my – the difference with my stuff is that I've been doing it for about 14 years and that I've done hundreds of rule summaries and all that kind of stuff. So I hope that I've, I'm set apart a little bit from people who just do the occasional video. And I am doing it constantly. There's a, uh, at least two things a week come out for the Esoteric Order of Gamers. Um, so wow, there's constant stuff coming out. That's quite a bit. Yeah, that's good. That is a lot. That is a lot. So um, is there anything that you want to touch on before we move to the next part of our uh, interview session here? Um, we're going to move into a little bit more of a lighthearted, not that it hasn't been lighthearted now, but a little bit more. Finding out about Peter Gifford and his geekiness. Is there anything you want to talk about before we uh, move into that segment? 
I think I've already exposed my geekiness quite a lot. <laughs> yes, but we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to drill down right. a little deeper. And this uh, is something called – oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, and one thing I wanted to point out is that uh, I really did appreciate that. I, I think if people saw your rule summaries, they would – think they were produced by the game companies i i clicked on clicked through probably a dozen of them and it is so obvious that it is done by a professional because they are gorgeous they fit right in with the with the graphic elements of the various games i was yeah dean's got the hellboy one up here too i'm a big hellboy fan although i did not pop for that game and um they look like they yeah. came right no, from really, the publisher. they're they're really nice and, and it's, it's funny um it, people there's, there's the things that people actually don't notice that I find amusing. I never have anyone mention the fact that the, in almost every case, the content exactly fits the page. And you'll find that at the every column lines up perfectly at the bottom. Um, they're the little things that I do as a graphic designer that people actually don't notice and they take a lot of time. So. I, I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a graphic designer, yeah. Greg. Yeah. So. Um, one of the things that I used a lot was your references for the Battlestar Galactica game, which now, really helped a lot of my new players, and so they had something to kind of refer to instead of me passing the rule book around all the time. Do you know I've never played a full game of that game? Why? Um, I've never had the opportunity for some reason. I played half a game, and, and the people left uh, for some reason, and I just never got a chance to play a full game. Okay. And this is often happens with some of my games is that I, I spend, I've probably spent tens of hours on that summary, but I've never, never played a full game. Well, when you come to Gen Con, we will make that happen. <laughs> that would be great. We will make that happen. It's yeah. one of my favorite. It's like my top, one of my top three games. If it has to do with I the SG, on the shelf then. saying, "Play me for, please, play me." Yes, yes. So, okay, so we're going to talk about um, a little bit more about your geekiness. This is something called rapid fire questions, and there's no right or wrong. It's kind of an one or the other okay. sort of an answer, and you know, it's just something to kind of delve down into your geekiness. So here we go, and we may play along too, but I'm going to ask the first one, and then Greg will ask one, and we'll go back and forth. Um, I'm going to go sci-fi. Or fantasy? Uh, sci-fi. Sci-fi? Okay. Dogs or cats? Oh, I surprised myself there. Definitely cats. Definitely. Definitely. Good. <laughs> I'm a dog guy, but that's okay. That's I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, an, I'm an aggressive cat guy. <laughs> uh, we've, got, we've got two. Um, they're called Ripley from Alien. Mm-hmm. And the other one is called Drusilla from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. I, I would have gotten both of those without explanation. Yes. Okay. Uh, DC or Marvel? <laughs> Pardon? Sorry? Oh, go, go ahead. Well, you were saying something? I was saying, what was I thinking? Explaining um, <laughs> references to geeks. Yes. Crazy. Okay, so the next one. DC or Marvel? Ooh. Uh, when I was growing up, DC, but probably Marvel now. Okay, uh, music or podcasts? Um, definitely most of my life, music. These days, sitting, painting, podcasts. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. me too unfortunately yeah i'm <laughs> i'm crossing audiobooks while i'm painting yeah i'm crossing over into the podcast thing but i'm still more of a music guy um i can recommend a fantastic one the hp pod uh, hp lovecraft historical um no, what's it called literary the hp lovecraft literary podcast really uh, it's a beauty um two guys um chad and chris who talk about uh weird fiction 
and they're just really funny and really entertaining. Greg is currently typing yeah. it into his phone. Uh, list no, right actually, now. I was looking up to see which H.P. Uh, Lovecraft uh, podcast I love to. Well, it, it's more of a Call of Cthulhu game podcast. Uh, the good friend, Wait. yeah, the good friends of Jackson Elias. Oh, which is smart, they're yeah. they're very serious about their Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Jackson Lias. What's Jackson Lias? Um, I'm not, I'm actually not sure. I've only listened to I don't know maybe three or four of the podcasts. The uh, the gentlemen that do this podcast they also write modules for the Call of Cthulhu role playing game, and they were responsible for um, this one that I played at a convention. The one that Eric and I did. Yeah, up at GaryCon. Um, yeah, and it's it's this six hour epic multi-table thing that they designed it was incredible i found out they did it so i listened to their podcast but they uh, they're into their mythos as well very very much oh cool i haven't played call of cthulhu since i was a kid and i'd love to play it again again when you come to gen con yeah that's that's <laughs> yeah. where i play I, such a good time <laughs> yeah and you don't have to worry about it lasting because you're probably going to die anyway <laughs> exactly that's yeah. great yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, you uh, go ahead, Greg. Uh, I just did we just music or podcast. How about cake or pie? Uh, the cake and pie aren't such a big thing uh, down here. It's not a you know that's more of an American thing. Yes. So yeah, we apologize um, for that. Yeah. I got, I got, all, I got all the softball questions. Pies. When I think of a pie, I think of well, is it the same definition? Because I think of a meat pie. Okay. You know, cake is like you know a sweet cake, and pie is like a meat pie. Okay, gotcha. But for you, pie is a sweet thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's like a oh, pastry yeah. of sorts. So if I if I was using my definition, I would say, you know, meat pies and chicken pies and things like that rather than cake. Works for us. Okay. Works yeah. for us. There you go. Okay. Um, here's a big one, um, for me at least. Star Trek or Star Wars? Oh, Star Trek. <gasps> oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> you're the, you're Sorry, the... I think Star Wars is completely overrated. Oh, Greg's about to walk out the door. I am, I'm not that bad. I like them both, but I prefer Star Wars. Yeah. No, he's he's cool with everything. He's cool with everything. I actually like them equally. It just depends on what day you ask me. Yeah. Are you going to ask me which Star Trek? Uh, yeah, let's let's follow that up. Which Star Trek? Deep Space Nine. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I know a good choice. Was yeah. Most interesting political... Um, it went to places that other Star Trek places, Star Trek series didn't bother to go mm-hmm. or didn't have the guts to go. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I, I cut my teeth on the original Star Trek, so that still kind of like has a really soft spot for me. But oh, yeah. I, I just love all Star Trek. I mean, it's just all good to me. I mean, well, I, I know it's got some – there are yeah. some issues. I don't have – I'm not a big fan of Voyager, and it took me a while to kind of warm up to Discovery – but I'm good with it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, Discovery just, yeah, I haven't warmed to that at all yet. It just feels too um, all over the place. There's a certain frantic necessity to sort of be exciting that is um, happening to the detriment of good character development. That is completely fair. Yes. It's, it's not a good sign when the lead character of the show is the least interesting character on the show. Absolutely. Oh, yes, I don't. She's so earnest. Oh. Yes. <laughs> there was that terrible, terrible episode where they, they spent the whole episode all being sort of saying goodbye to each other oh. and being nice. It was the penultimate episode of the last season. I know what you mean. And that, that, yeah. And I just thought, what are you people doing? I mean, you're professionals. Stop being such 
sensitive human beings. Oh, and you're in a military organization. Come on, you're going to, you know, this is what happens. Yeah. Fleet is not a military organization. Oh, okay. Uh, that could be argued. They, okay. they hadn't learned that. That was the kind of episode you could have after seven years. And, and yet, it was also the kind of episode that was done so much better by Picard just walking into the poker game at the end of Next Generation. You know, subtlety. You don't have to be obvious. You've got yeah. to be more subtle. Than that. There, there is no subtlety in, in Discovery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Oh, oh, I got us some hard ones here. Uh, oh, God, I'm worried about all these being cultural now. You know, lager or ale, beer or wine. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. Well, no, culture's good. Um, definitely uh, what you'd call ale. Um, I'm a huge um, craft beer fan, and especially since I moved to uh, New Zealand, because where I am is a center of craft beer in New Zealand. Nice. And there's some fantastic breweries and some amazing beers. So we've also got something called Marchfest every year, which is um, a big local thing where brewers brew specifically for Marchfest. And they have a fantastic uh, beer and food matching lunch you go to where the brewers talk about the beers when you're having different food with them. I uh, love it. Um, so I'm a, a huge fan. I drink far too much beer, um, but it's all sort of good quality stuff. And um, I like really good, chewy, yummy beers. All right. Okay. I think you'd fit over here pretty well. We've got a lot of really great craft breweries popping up all yeah. over the place. So I'm saying, yeah. So, okay. Um, my next question is... a personal one for me because this movie has probably influenced me more than any other movie that I've ever seen. Not just movie, but movies. So I'm going to ask you. Mad Max. Gibson or Hardy? Well, I'm not a big fan of the man, but it's Gibson really, isn't it? I think so. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't like I would agree. his attitude. I don't like his politics. I don't like his form of religion. I don't like... <laughs> I don't like anything about him, really, but he can act. Yes. And, um, yeah, they're pretty seminal Australian films as, as well. I mean, when I was growing up, it was like um, – that's when Australian cinema really hit the world stage for the first time. Oh, yeah. Those films. Certainly the second Mad Max film especially. Right. Um, the Road Warrior. Yeah. Uh, was it was just – I don't know if it's called Road Warrior here. I don't I, think, I think it was. It, I, think it, I think in Australia, I think down there they called it Mad Max 2. Yes. But since no yeah, one yeah. watched Mad Max 1 here, they went with Road Warrior to disconnect it. So. Oh, and also um, Mad Max 1 was dubbed for the American market. So you had terrible American <sighs> uh, accent going over the Australians. It's which so was, bad. I remember seeing a copy of that and just going, no, this is wrong. Yes, I finally got to see the uh, actual Australian version and I was like, wow, yeah. we really got sucker punched with that thing. It was horrible. Yeah, it was bad. Isn't that funny? There was that cultural cringe. And, and now you see there's so many Australian. And the other thing that's amusing now is I see Australian characters in, in American TV and, and film where you have an, Australia, an American actor doing an Australian accent. Okay, I think so I've got a theory. Got to that point, even. Yeah, I got a theory behind that. I think that's because Americans are, for whatever reason, deeply in love with Australians. I think that we, for some reason, I think Americans, Australians are the way Americans want to be. <laughs> I don't know about okay, that. Because but, uh, we've, been, we've been watching movies like Mad Max and Quigley Down Under and, and things like that. I don't think I ever saw that. Oh, no. no one saw that. No one saw that. Yeah. Oh, I saw that. That was a great movie. 
The man from Wasn't Snowy that, River. Uh, Ted Hansen or something like that? Who was, no, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was Quigley. Uh, Ted, uh, Tom Selleck. It was Tom Selleck, yeah. It was, yeah. Uh, uh, that's a, not a good movie. And then The Man from Snowy River. Great movie. I have not seen that. Yeah. You've never seen that movie? No, uh uh-uh. Oh, wow. You should go watch it. It's good. Okay, so Greg, you're up. <laughs> oh, gosh. Let's see. Derailed. I was going to well, find one here that uh, can't ask him the con- American Con questions or the D&D questions. Yeah. Um, vinyl or cassette? Um, I've got a real soft spot for cassette because, I mean, it's a long time. I've still got my collection of cassettes downstairs somewhere in a box. But uh, that's a lost art form. I mean, the whole cassette thing was something I really grew up with. And the, the idea of putting together um, a song selection for your new girlfriend and everything on cassette <laughs> and then usually doing some kind of fancy artwork on the, with the typography is with a biro on the cassette. I mean, that's, that, that's just a lost art form. Yeah. So, okay, um, sword or bow and arrow? Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that is. I'm, uh, I'm going to go with sword. I'm going to go with the classic thing for that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, time travel. Go forward or backward in time? Oh, backward. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's things I want to see. I mean, you know, I, when I was before graphic design, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Um, and I was, I was obsessed with... Um, uh, Egyptology. Mm-hmm. There was also a film called Chariots of the Gods. I don't know if you remember that one. Yes. Oh yeah, I saw that in the theater. Yeah. Oh, in the theater. Right. Yeah, uh, oh, you yeah, guys yeah. really are as old as me. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I just turned fifty-four. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I wanted to be an archaeologist because that's when the King Tut exhibit came through the U.S. Actually, no, sixth grade. Sixth grade, and I got to go Greg, see that. We are peas in a pod. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that. And then I found out that archaeology was not really a very profitable uh, career path. <laughs> Yes, yes, and you'd have to spend most of your time in the library instead of actually out discovering temples and yeah. tombs. Yeah, there you go. I actually wrote to the uh, director of the Australian Museum and I asked him what um, classes I should take to be an archaeologist, especially an Egyptologist. And he wrote back and said, oh, you look, they've pretty much dug everything out of Egypt now. It's not really <laughs> worth it. But, you know, Australian archaeology is really taking off. And I went, no, nah, no. Nah. He, he was pushing an agenda. He really was. Yeah. yeah. I was really annoyed about it. Um, what got me under that? Um, Let's see. Yeah, we were, no, we were doing the time travel thing. Yeah, we were doing the time travel. So, yeah, yes. I, so, I, too, um, I too would go backwards uh, in time. So I'd love to go back and see some of these uh, civilizations at their height because I just think um, it would be astonishing to see. I mean, I want to know what happens in the future as well, but, you know, I may go ahead in the future and find the Earth a burnt-out husk, and that wouldn't be much fun. I've wasted my time travel trip. That's true. That's true. And I, too, would rather go back in time than forward. Okay, so uh, my next question is more of a philosophical question. Ooh. Superman, does he leap or fly? Oh, yeah, gosh, that's an interesting question, too. He flies. True. But, but if you want to be really specific about if you want to go back to the start, he leaped. Yes, I mean, he jumped tall buildings. Yes. And I remember, yeah, in the early comics, he jumped. But now he can jump. He can can hover now. He can hover now, too, yeah. So he's evolved. Where'd the hovering come from? uh, That's a comic book question, and I'm going to refer that to Greg. You know, I'm not sure when that started up. Uh, I know it's definitely with something that happened in the 60s. 
when back when Superman could do anything, literally anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not sure when they switched over to that. Probably probably sometime in the 50s, and it was probably just lazy writing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, how the physics of something like that work? It's yeah, just, I know. They don't really explain that very well. So, uh, um, magic, basically. He's basically a magician. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Uh, as a follow-on yeah. to that, uh, Batman or Superman? Oh, oh, see, oh this, these are really tough. I mean, they're classic <laughs> questions, but no one's actually ever asked me them before. That's why we're um, here. Hey, we got four pages of these. <laughs> we're not going to do all no, four. Okay. No. Yeah, it's great fun. This is, I'd much rather be doing this than sitting here, sitting at my computer working. Um, you know, uh, I'm, again, it's funny. The answer to all these questions is like early on and then different. So early on, I would have said Superman. Um, that was the first one I grew up with. But later on, as you get more mature, Batman. Yeah, I've always been Batman. Yeah, because, you know, Superman's one note, really, isn't he? He kind He's of a bit is. of a good two shoes. There's well, not much to him. And then as you get older, you recognize all the angst and the, the self-examination and all the rest of it, of, and the psychological stuff of Batman. And also the Batman stuff that I really liked was the sort of early 70s stuff when it was very much about sort of uh, rainy streets and drug gangs and it was all very dark and you know that kind of stuff Absolutely I like that stuff. I really like that that was a good time so let me Batman, add Batman was really sort of tall and angular and, and you know yeah there was that's, that's something true. about that's there was a real dark feeling to it and it was like oh wow they're talking about drugs in, in comics and all that kind of stuff it was really dark yeah, that's the Dick Giordano, Neil Adams Batman that you're probably liking there, yeah. Oh, good. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, um, we're going we're gonna to close up here soon, but I've got a couple more to go with. Um, geek or nerd? Uh, geek, yeah. I never liked the nerd thing, no. I think no. nerd has always had a bad connotation to it. Yeah, I, you know, I've spent my whole life sort of grappling with this this question because, you know, obviously when we all grew up, it wasn't fashionable to be into all this stuff, and it is now. It's mm -hmm. totally changed. Um, and so I fought with a lot because I wanted to be cool, and I played in a band and everything, so I sort of was cool, you know, and I, I, I had, you know, good friends, and, you know, I didn't sort of – but I also was in that kind of – sort of geeky world so when i started school i got sort of bullied a bit but then i sort of became cool and you know so i didn't want to run around telling people i played dnd too much because it just was not cool mm -hmm. that's why i mean it's good when you should see stranger things now they've really captured that feeling of of kids playing dnd and geeky people and all that stuff and before it was fashionable um but yeah i've, I've always grappled with it and i remember when I met my my now partner who we've been together for 16 years and she discovered me in the garage one day looking at my board games because they were all hidden away in the garage and it was like, you know, <laughs> discovering the collection of, of you, know, you know what, and <laughs> I sort of went, oh, 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 what, you know, discovered looking at Games Workshop games and, um, and she just said, look, you're obviously into all this stuff, why don't you just put it on the shelf and, you know, be kind of proud of it and it was like oh okay well yeah i can now i'm in a long-term relationship you know i don't have to hide this from my new girlfriends and you know and that's when actually my gaming stuff kind of exploded because i became proud of it in a way so yeah. <laughs> it was like saying yes world i am a gamer yeah. i'm proud yes we we are now controlling the gaming industry i think we're we're well, it's good to be on top 
the world industry. I mean, look at look at the popularity of everything, the, the, the superhero films, Game of Thrones, everything. Mm-hmm. It's just taken over the world. And really everybody loved it. And the people who were pretending they didn't love it were just trying to be cool and but actually probably did love it. Yeah. That, really, that story reminds me a little bit of my uh, – I've got a neighbor who is a huge historical miniature – player he does all kinds of historical battles and stuff like that and he paints all of the miniatures and when he was dating his soon-to-be wife he said i need to show you something (laughs) (laughs) and she's like okay and he says it's in this back room and she's like she's the one telling the story and she's like i'm a little nervous when he says this (laughs) and he opens up the door and there's all these filing cabinets and shelves filled with these boxes and, and toolboxes and, and whatever, you know, all kinds of things to keep miniatures in. And he goes, this is a very important part of my life, and I just want to let you know and explain it to you. And she's like, and then I open up the drawers, and there's all these little tiny men that are... <laughs> not, not body parts. <laughs> yes. And because she didn't know anything about that at the time, but he wanted to be right up front and say, listen, this yeah. is a big part of my life, and... I want you to, you know, at least accept it, even if you don't understand it. Yeah. I, well, yeah, it's big. And I'm sure um, my partner, Carol, had no idea that it would be such a big part of our lives <laughs> when she first met me. I was some cool dude in a band. You know, next thing she knows, she's putting up with this huge game collection. <laughs> okay, we've got a couple more here. And this one's going to um, – I'm going to go with one that's going to test um, – well, I think that you're going to get this one. Spy or spy? Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gee, that's been a while. Um, and sadly, the passing of yes. Mad Magazine recently. Mad Magazine is, is no longer going to be published. Yeah. I just find that absolutely tragic. I mean, that's a sign of our times, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's wrong. I mean, it's some of the uh, the Mad Magazine versions of films like Alien and stuff like that uh, are still in my head completely when I think of those films. Yes. So th- there was Back then you'd watch a film and then you'd read the Mad Max, uh, the Mad, Mad Max, Mad Magazine <laughs> version of it. Right. Oh, yeah. And uh, the, those spy versus yeah, so, spy cartoons, yeah, they go, kind I'll, of freak I'll me out. You're going to go with spy. Okay, you're going to go I'll with go spy. With spy. I'm, I'm going with spy. <laughs> okay, so, Greg, finish it out here. Uh, ooh, oh, God, now, I get, now you make me want to okay, pick well, up like okay. a good one. No, no, go ahead. I'll, uh, I'll I got fi- a couple I'll that were kind of go, go together, but uh, theatrical release or director's cut? Oh, good one, good one. Yeah. Oh, that is good. That is good. I'm going to go with director's cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they're so self-indulgent. Uh, the, the Lord of the Rings ones are great because there's so much extra stuff, but when it comes to mountains of skulls rolling down in an avalanche, I just turn off. You know, that's just a, just a bridge too far. <laughs> <laughs> Another great movie. So, um, pirates or ninjas? Oh, I forgot about that one. You always ask that one early on. That's a good one too. I'm going to go with pirates. Okay. Always had a spot for the pirates. Yep. Yeah. Love that stuff. A uh, bit of buckling and swash. Definitely. Okay. And then Greg's got the final one. <clears throat> this, is a, this is a big one. James Bond, Craig or Connery, or an alternate? Uh, uh, Connery, definitely. I think a hundred percent of the people have said Absolutely. Connery. Yeah, yeah. Hey, look, Craig did a you know he did a good job, especially the first one. Um, I enjoyed the the stuff. I mean that the opening of Casino Royale has just reinvigorated the entire yes. the entire series. Mm-hmm. That was brilliant. 
And uh, I really enjoyed that film, but they went downhill really quick after that. God, the last one was just terrible. Quantum of um, Solace, I had no idea what was going on with that one. I didn't even see it. Yeah, and the last one was, uh, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Connery, I mean, man, that stuff is just iconic. Um, funny, it's, it's, it's interesting to read all the books. I've actually got um, copies of, like, 60s paperbacks of all the original books, because um, they had fantastic covers. I love – we've got a really big library here. In fact, we've got a separate room, which is just books. And um, I do love a set. You know, that's part of my personality as well. So if I start collecting something in a book or something, I just love to have the whole set on the shelf. Mm-hmm. In matching editions. Set of the Sorry? In matching editions. No, in matching editions, definitely. So I've got a lovely set of these James Bond ones. And they're really uh, quite interesting because, um, you know, he does get – captured and beaten up quite a lot and that whole scene from Casino Royale where he's being strapped to a cane chair and whacked with a rope is, is directly out of the book um, so he's often getting captured and tortured and, and and then getting his own back and you know that sort of feel when that came back into Casino Royale that was like oh this is back like the original books again it was really good because it just went completely off the rails with Roger Moore and all that stuff mm-hmm. yeah yeah but also, I'm really, really happy to see um, different explorations. But, you know, they're saying there's going to be a woman playing 007 in the next film. I, I think that will be just a few scenes. They'll probably do something like that. But eventually, they probably will have a woman doing it. I think it's fantastic. Keep exploring different versions of these characters. It's like Shakespeare. You have a um, classic characters, and then you play with them, and you do all different things with them, and you discover new aspects of the character. So I'm all for doing every exploration of all these characters in different ways and, and seeing what happens and telling different stories. Oh, but the nice. haters are going to hate, you know, they, oh, yeah. they yep. do that with star yeah. Wars. They do that with star Trek. They do it with just about anything under the sun. You know, there, there's minority of very vocal, boring people. I don't even listen to them. That's, Total waste of time. I agree. Yes. And on that note, very wise, comment there uh i want to say thank you very much peter for joining us uh again we've been talking with peter gifford of the esoteric order of gamers or universal head but if you want to check out what peter does please 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 go to orderofgamers.com and swear to goodness take a look at any of his game reference material and you'll be like where has this stuff been all of my gaming life right there (laughs) Guys, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I really, really look forward to getting over to Gen Con and meeting you both and having a beer and, and oh. meeting him. It'll be great. We will have a good time. We will have a good time. So. We will. All right. Well, Peter, thank you very much, and uh, we you. hope to talk to you again uh, in the future. Fantastic. See you, guys. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. And for the Grognards, I'm Dean Geiken. And I'm Greg Ziegler. Game on. Game on.